Last week, we began a, a message series relative to generosity. And for those of you visiting for the first time today, you're probably thinking, of course, you're talking about giving the first time we're here. Uh, but we're glad that you're here. And uh, as a couple of uh, things to say on the front of this message, as we talk about generosity, what that looks in the local church, what it looks like for Lindsay Lane, uh, this message in practice is meant for those who are members of Lindsay Lane or those uh, who would consider Lindsay Lane their church home. In principle, it's for everyone, um, even if this is not your church home, uh, even if you're not a believer. We're glad that you're here today and pray that God would do a work in your heart. But in practice, this message is for those who consider this church your church home. And uh, I want to, after last service, I really believe God spoke to my heart at the end of that service, and so much so that I wrote it on a sticky note, and uh, so I wouldn't forget to tell you. But something I want to say to us on the front end is that the principle of enough, the principle of enough is difficult for us for every single category, it seems, except giving. Except giving. We can reach that principle of enough and contentment with giving real quick. So let that challenge you. Let that challenge you as God's challenged me already this morning as we're going to look in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 to see... Paul's letter to the church at Corinth about generosity. I would say that as we are, are leading towards the future and what God would continue to do with our church, we want to place before you a give to go Sunday that starts in October. That, that Sunday will be in October of this year. It will fund our missions budget and our missions budget efforts for the next year. So basically what we are doing is planting seeds of scripture. So that we will desire generosity and to be a church that is generous towards the thing that God cares about as we make our way towards opportunities to give. What you got in your bulletin was just simply a giving calendar. We want to tell you up front, this is how we believe God's leading us to give. There are ways that you can give reoccurring. There are ways that you can give that are upcoming, that are ongoing. So take a look at that. One of the things we looked at last week is that a Christian is not offended with opportunities to be generous. Are you hearing me? That does not offend us. When opportunities to give towards the things that God values, it should never set us back or cause us to scoff as we see God dealing with money throughout the scripture. And we see God dealing with our hearts towards generosity throughout the scripture as well. Once again, I want you to understand if you're visiting with us today or if you're here just seeking today and checking it out, this message in practice is for the church. This message in principle is for everybody. I would also state, again, as we stated last week, that truly you are a generous body of Christ. God is, has taken care of us and God continues to take care of our church as we are working for his glory and the good of man. Nobody at Lindsay Lane has tried to build a Lindsay Lane empire, but I'll tell you this, we will not apologize for trying to work for the kingdom of God. Not make any apologies about that. So no matter what people say about Lindsay Lane and all those kinds of things, and not saying that there are many that do that, but we believe in what we're doing, which is why we present you with opportunities to do it. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for how you have taken care of us, how you continue to take care of us. But God, we pray that every dollar we've got under the name of this church, Lord, we know it belongs to you. That we would be faithful and responsible with what we have. Lord, that you would stir generosity past ourselves, within ourselves. And God, that you would do a work in our heart. Lord, it is my prayer that 
we don't see a time of invitation as just a time to get saved or baptized or join the church. But Lord, if you're dealing with us about how we need to do something better for you, I pray, oh God, we would even learn and listen towards the invitation today that we may be growing in faith as we walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. There was a king who was making his way to his castle. On the way to the castle, he passed by a beggar. Y'all, this is weird, I know. Lord, I pray that you rid myself of any thoughts for myself. In Jesus' name, amen. There was a king who was making his way to the castle. On the way to the castle, he passed a beggar. The beggar was well beneath his station. He knew who he was and who the king was. Yet still he begged because he was in need. And so as the king passed by the desolate beggar, he stopped and he knelt down and he gave the beggar three gold coins. There was a courier that was going along with the king. The king says, the the courier says to the king, Oh, it's your generosity. Because a few copper coins would have suited the beggar, yet you gave him three gold coins. That would change his life. The king said in reply, three copper coins may have suited the beggar, but three gold coins suited the king's giving. Recognize the truth and the honor of the king there. Recognize what we've learned last week. Last week, we learned that if the King Jesus has us, he's got our hearts, therefore he has our money. And we will desire to be generous because God is generous. We'll see bulletins when you take them out and it says, give to go missions offering. We'll see those things as Christians and knowing the joy that we have in our own heart and what God is doing in our life. And we will see give to go missions opportunities and we'll be fired up about it like it's that time again. Instead of tax season, which is like, it's that time again, man. Like we'll see that differently when Jesus is king over us. Generosity, we learned last week, is more relative to your attitude than it is your circumstances. That you can be in a bad way of circumstances and still have the attitude of generosity. We also learned last week that biblical giving is proportionate It is personal and it is sacrificial according to what we see in Scripture. So truthfully today, I'm not trying to mess with your money. God's Word just talks about it. And because God's Word talks about it, we're going to preach on it. And this is what we learned last week about giving. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verse 6, we'll be preaching verses 6 through verse 9. So we have urged Titus who encouraged your giving in the first place to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. Paul is sending Titus. Now, Titus has been there before. In fact, he was there a year ago. And Paul is once again sending this young minister who he is his mentor. This is his protege. He's sending Titus back on another missionary journey to go and check in in this church and encourage them to finish the ministry of giving. Again, not the first time he's been. You see, between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, that church had a whole lot of issues to deal with. They wanted to give in 1 Corinthians, but still not had yet given in 2 Corinthians. And what happened is between those two books, there was immorality, there was division, there was false influences from outside the church coming to inside the church. 
There were, there were things that were pressuring Corinth and the church at Corinth to cause the church to, to forget about what they had wanted to do in the beginning. All the while, the need in Jerusalem and those people there was still going on. The church at Corinth couldn't get their act together, so they just pushed giving to the side. Now, I want you to know this and don't miss this. Ministry suffers because of our drama. Ministry suffers because of our drama. Sometimes it's our own selfishness and our own sin, and we're dealing with that almost every single second. It consumes our thoughts. We're not giving any other thought to generosity because we're dealing with what we've got going on. Some of you are putting people in a position to think about what they're called or what you're, you've been caused by them to do. You're not dealing with your own sin and selfishness. You're dealing with their sin and selfishness. It consumes your life. Now you've put somebody by your sin in a position to not think about the ministry of generosity at all. Because of your sin, now they face consequences. Drama causes us to deal with our own stuff and forget the ministry of generosity and other things. By God's grace, the church at Corinth was making a comeback of sorts in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And hey, you can too. You can too. This church was struggling in one book, and in the next book, they're turning the ship around. God is always faithful. He's always working. If you're coming up here today thinking, I need to hear a word from the Lord, well, hear this. God's not finished yet. He's still working, hadn't called everybody home yet. You got a shot. Let God have his way in you because he will change the game as he did for this church. Chapter 7 of Second Corinthians speaks of a renewed fear of God, speaks of reconciled relationships. This is what's changed from one book to the other. And they are getting refocused again on finishing the generosity work that was began with them from God in another chapter of the church's life. One Christmas before we had kids, y'all, at Christmas time, I get real cheesy. I love it. And one Christmas I, I, before we had kids and, and thinking that my wife and I would have the month together of December, I told her, I said, let's, let's put a Christmas puzzle together the month of December. I, I feel embarrassed telling you that. Now, some of you may, some of you may love putting puzzles together and there's no judgment here because I wanted to do the same thing. But my wife was like, okay, you know, like, I love you. I love you because I love you. We'll do this. And so I thought, hey, at the end of December, we'll have this whole puzzle put together. It'll be something we've done together. It's something be fun. So we started. And we got about a corner of that puzzle put together. And then put it in a drawer along with the rest of the other 750 pieces of that puzzle that never got put together. Giving is like that. We intend to, at a certain time, when something comes in, to be generous. And we start to, and we want to, and we even maybe take a first step, but then we put it in a drawer because of different issues or because of different excuses, and then giving is like those puzzle pieces stuck in a drawer that you hope to return to later, but for real, you're not going to do it. So this is, this is what is being dealt with in the scripture. As Paul has said, Macedonia is giving for sure. Corinth, you said you were going to, and now we're waiting on you. The scripture says in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 8, that finishing is better than starting. 
Patience is better than pride. Meaning this for that church. Until you take those offerings up and send them to those needy people in Jerusalem, you don't have the ministry of generosity. You've got the ministry of good intentions. That's as far as it's gone. I, one of the most favorite many messages I've ever heard in my life. I shared this with the marriage conference just two weeks ago. It was from an old basketball coach, coached many years. And it was at the end of a conference and we had already heard all the material and now we were getting ready to be sent out. It was when I was a senior in high school. And this is what he said to us. He was talking about potential. And he said, you know, I get so tired of people telling me that all my teams have great potential. And this is what he said. You know what that means? It means they hadn't done anything yet. That's what that means. And so this is where they are. They had talked about it, wanted to. Things got in the way. And all of a sudden, it's a puzzle piece put in a drawer, put up for another time. It's the ministry of good intentions. One Bible book ago from 2 Corinthians, the inside struggles at Corinth were raging. Outside influences were pressing. False teachers were moving in. And it wouldn't be long, now that they are riding the ship, that all that stuff would be back again. Therefore, Paul, knowing the need in Jerusalem, sent Titus back to Corinth to say that the desire to be generous and the desire to give that God is born within you, don't let that be a good intention. Finish the drill. Finish it. Listen, I'm all for starting and restarting your Christian walk. Sometimes people are like, well, I've tried this over and over. I'm going to start again. Good for you. You ought to start again. In fact, I don't take this and, and, and write a check on it and don't take this and stand on it. I think it's better if you're struggling than if you quit. So don't don't quit. Keep fighting and lose some and don't use that as, as an excuse to lose some, but it's better for you to struggle than quit. But the message that Paul is sending is not, hey guys, now that you're back at it, good, let's get this going again. No, 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 they've already had it going again. The message from Paul to Corinth is this, finish it, finish it. You've been talking about getting back in church? Don't talk about it anymore. Finish it. Again, I know there are people here today. There are people watching online. There's going to be an appropriate time that we take the tape down and the mask off. And we all going to come back in here again, Lord willing. Last year we was in a parking lot. This year we back together. So we're baby steps. Amen. There's going to be a time for that. But the danger to that, truthfully, the danger to that, that if you intend to get back in the gathering, I just use the word intend. Don't let that be an intention. Intention. Finish it. We've been intending to serve in the nursery. We're going to take care of those kids like somebody took care of ours. We've been intending to do that. Well, six months has passed and we ain't talked to anybody yet. It's a ministry of good intentions. It's not a ministry of service. We've been intending to get in a group. We need to be together. We need to learn the word of God together, get to know people together. That's been on our radar. It's a ministry of intentions. We're going to do it one day. No, you're not. I do the same thing with different things. It's a ministry of intentions. It's potential. And Paul is like, I I love it. I love the desire. And God has started that within you. Finish the drill. Finish it. Let's do it. Let's quit talking about it and let's do it. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, the Bible says, And I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. 
Do you know what that means? It means that God does not have a ministry of good intentions to see your salvation through to heaven. He's going to make sure it ends in heaven. He is going to finish what he started in our salvation. Aren't you glad that God doesn't deal with our hearts and then casually set it aside to deal with something else? He does, it's not like he's going to get to it. No, he's going to see it through. God began a good work of salvation in us. He will finish it. Therefore, if we are followers of the Lord God Jesus Christ and he is a finisher, then we must also be the same. As we follow him. As we approach the, the give to go missions offering. That's not here now. It's coming up in October. Y'all, there's a lot of time that's going to pass. There's a lot of situations that are going to be had between now and October. And so it's just like what Paul was sending Titus to encourage them. The last time this happened, there was a lot of time between then and now. Make sure that you finish it. We're going to have a lot of things go on between then and now. But listen... The truth is, you'll have a lot of things going and on your mind, your mind and heart before your next opportunity to give, but way before October. It may be next week. It could be in the next hour. It could be this afternoon that you're presented with an opportunity to give towards something that God cares about. And between then and now, an issue has come up and we push it to the side or throw it in a drawer. Finish it. Finish it. Verse 7. Since you excel in so many ways... In your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, I want you also to excel in the gracious act of giving. I want you to excel also in the gracious act of giving. Paul wrote to them really to encourage them. He wasn't buttering them up to manipulate them, to cause them to give. It wasn't anything about that. He was encouraging them based on what they were doing really so well. It wasn't all about what they were not doing. He was encouraging them on what they were doing. And they were all stars in a lot of ways. They believed in the Lord and believed him for real. And they stood on that promise amongst the culture that, that was working against the church. They had effective communicators within their church that communicated with sound doctrine. They were strong in that. The church was educated they knew what they believed, and it showed that the church was enthusiastic. They, they didn't say, "We well, it's Sunday. Y'all know we want to rest, but we got to go to church. It wasn't any of that. They were passionate, enthusiastic about doing what God had called them to do. They loved others. They loved their leaders. They were all-stars in all this. But listen, it's ironic because they were so highly gifted, but so low in generosity. Macedonia was low on resources, but high on generosity. Corinth was high on resources and low on generosity. Think of it. A, a, a place, a church that is able to preach and teach and minister and stand together. They love one another. They are able to get a lot of things done for the ministry of God, but they are unable to turn loose of that money. The, I'm not making this stuff up. I get to read it and report it to you by the direction of the Spirit of God. They were unable. Again, what I said at the front, the principle of enough is difficult in almost every area of our life, except for generosity, except for giving. Brittany and I love a good checks mix. This is so weird and random, I know. Hang with me. 
I realize I have not painted ourselves in a good picture this morning already as we're doing puzzles and checks mix. Whatever. We, now, don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about the checks mix that you buy out of a bag in a store. I'm talking about the checks mix that's made over the holidays when it's cold and people make checks mix at home. That's the kind that's really good. There's a place in, in town, and I'm not going to give them an endorsement, although I would, but I don't know that that's a proper thing to do. If you want to know where it is, I'll tell you afterwards. It's funny. I had a lady last service. She walked out and she said, good message. Where's that Chex Mix place at? <laughs> um, there's a place in town, though, that makes it, and it's really, really, really good. My wife and I love it. What we love the most out of that Chex Mix is pecans. They are so good. They get wrapped up all in that flavor. And then we look for the pecans when we open up the canister. The thing is, though, is there's like 850 of the other pieces and like three pecans. <laughs> Some of you, if you grew up eating doodads, y'all remember doodads? Those were the best. One time a buddy of mine, we stopped and got a, a box of doodads on the way to eat with people in college. That's, that's the truth. We, that's a terrible truth, but it's the truth. It was good, but this is as good as that. And so we look for those pecans all the time and it's like they're never there. It's unbalanced. It's unbalanced. It's like a chair that has four legs, but one of them's short. And so just as this silly illustration of how less pecans misrepresent who the chef is, a church that's not willing to be generous misrepresents who God is. There are none more generous than the Lord Jesus Christ. There are none more generous and giving than God. Notice, in the scripture, the ministry of giving was not precedence above the others. It was not priority above preaching and teaching and loving and serving and faith. It, it was not above those things, knowledge and enthusiasm Giving was not above those things. Like, this is what you must do before you do that. You've got to give before you preach, or you've got to give before you have enthusiasm. That's not what the Scripture is saying. In your faith, your gifted speakers, knowledge, enthusiasm, love from us, I want you to excel also in the gracious act of giving. This is also what a member of the body of Christ does. It's not preach or give. It's not serve or give, attend or give, learn or give. It's and give. This is part of what a Christian does when you receive the Lord Jesus Christ. But again, I go back to last week. If we have given ourselves to God, we'll be glad you told us about it. So that we can become more like Christ, who you cannot outgive. Well, I don't give in the way he's talking about because I give my time serving in ministry. That's excellent. And we all should. But giving proportionally, personally, sacrificially, this is what a church does also because this represents who Jesus is. I want to tell you as we look at the church of Corinth, a church that was highly gifted if Lindsay lane is your church and you are part of it we have been gifted let's not forget to gift we're not wanting to look at corinth and be like 
well, we're good if they're good. That's not what Paul's saying. He's looking at a church that's good and trying to make them even better. Verse 8, I am not commanding you to do this, but I'm testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with eagerness of the other churches. Notice what he said. I am not commanding you to do this. You will be lying if you walk out of here today and say, they're telling us to give. Preachers up there speaking with authority. Christians, you better give or else. That's not it. You should not give in response to pressure. In fact, guilt is a terrible motivator for you to have sustained generosity. It won't work. Learn that this week. There's no command to give. There is, however, exhortation to give of your own free will. Read the scripture for yourself. I'm not commanding you to do this, but I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of other churches. Verse 6 says, we've urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place to return to you and encourage you to finish the ministry of giving. It's an encouragement for you to finish the ministry of giving. It's an encouragement, I command. Verse 7 in chapter 9, you must each decide in your own heart how much to give. You must decide. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. But I want you to know, chapter 8, verse 8, Paul has tagged this truth with a plus one. What he says is there's no pressure, Corinth, but there is principle over in Macedonia. Am I right? That's what he's saying to them. There's no pressure. This is not a command, but there's certainly principle. Macedonia was so eager to give, and they were not in a prosperous trade city like Corinth. Corinth had resources And Corinth had more leadership gifts than Macedonia. But Macedonia had generosity right. It's possible that Paul went back to Macedonia and said, y'all need to start praying for some leaders in here. Y'all need to start serving in here. And told them about the leg that fell short. But in Corinth, there was generosity. Again, I appreciate the generosity of our church. I think we're going in the right direction. It's my job under God to make sure we're still heading in that direction. Paul mentions those churches once more. And he mentions them to see proof of genuine love, as the scripture says, from Corinth. If you really love like you say you love, see Macedonia for how that exhibits itself through generosity. Love is proven by expression, is it not? Love expresses itself. Is is God's love not expressed to us? Because he loves, it expresses and it expresses itself in one way through generosity. Genuine love wants to give. Genuine love wants to give. I love my wife. I love my kids. I love my family members. I love my friends. I love y'all. Going back to my wife and kids, I do not feel obligated to buy them a birthday or Christmas present. I want to do that because I love them. And birthdays and Christmas are baseline giving. You hear that? That's where it should start. Husbands, if your wife says, no, I'm good, I don't need anything, you ought at least still ought to desire to do it for her. That's just baseline stuff. We're not even talking about offerings. We're talking about tithes now. We're talking about baseline giving. This is what we're giving. Baseline. I, I don't have to buy my wife spontaneous things. But when I see something that I think she'll love, I want to buy that for her. I want her to have it. 
spontaneously. I want her to, I want to give that to her. That's above the baseline. Sometimes there are things that, that we, we may give one another that sets us back, but we love each other so strongly we want each other to have it. That's sacrificial giving, proportional, personal, sacrificial. This is, even if I can't give her all the things that I want to, I still want to. Because love expresses itself. If God's love is in us and we love others and love God, we will want to express it and will not be offended that there's an opportunity to do so. Can't you hear Paul saying after a message like that, right, Corinth? <laughs> right? See, for, for Corinth to be so strong in faith but so weak in supporting other believers... Their giving is a challenge to their credibility. It's the same way for believers. We can do all this stuff. But if we treat our money like it's our money and not God's money, we lose credibility. I hope I can communicate this well. I remember going to Africa with Brother Dusty a few years ago. We did a pastor's conference that churches attended and not just pastors. A lot of pastors there. But church is also attended. Y'all, for a couple of days, leading up to that day, they walked or rode bicycles or caught a ride for miles and miles and miles to be there, to show up. They slept on the ground between conference times to get up the next morning to hear me talk about God and his word. That's, that's what was happening in Zambia, Africa. So I'm just doing what Paul did. As we look back to the uh, American church, with the Zambian church with low, low resources and high zeal, and the American church, if I'm just being honest, not all of us, but a lot of us, with a lot of resources, but low enthusiasm. See, there's room for all of us to be sharpened and, and to be better. Lindsay Lane, as, as we continue to minister now and in the future, let us not be proven to be a church that's high in gifting, but low in giving. As we think about churches in comparison to different places, you know, there are times when we look at the calendar as a lead staff and we honestly think to ourselves, we'd love to do that, but I don't know if they'll come. I don't know. And then, and then we see people across the world that are asleep on the ground and walk for miles to hear the word of God. Y'all, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that it's commanded of you to ride your bike and walk and sleep here the next time we preach because really it would be better if you slept where you are on us. That's not commanded of you. But there's principle of the American church to see that what we say we are about, sometimes our enthusiasm, our commitment, our zeal, it ain't there. It's not. And God help us as we see in the scripture to be like the truth that we see that we need to be. What does that look like for Lindsay Lane? We're praying about that. What does this look like for us moving forward in a culture that is either noncommittal 
or committed to everything so much that the church is just one of those things. What does that look like for us to overcome that and be a place that works for God's glory and the good of man for years and years and years? How do we do that? Do you know, as you look in in the book of Acts, when people got saved and they saw needs, do you know what they did? They started selling off all their stuff to meet people's needs. I don't know what that looks like for us either. But it's the truth of how they reacted and respond. Y'all, can we at least be challenged on generosity in here? Can we at least be challenged on it? Can we let God work on us to the point of where we would do more out of what God is doing in us? Or have we become content with how we're generous? Verse 9. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he can make you rich. Paul pointed out the principle of other churches' generosity to motivate the church to at least consider being more generous than they already were. But listen, listen. We've pointed to Macedonia enough. All we really have to do is point to the generosity of Jesus. He is the reason why people who follow him should be generous. Should consider even their way when upside his ways. Because you cannot be more generous than Jesus. The one who shed his blood for us so that we might have eternal life and be in a right relationship with God and all the resources that he has for us while we are living here. The scripture says... Though he was rich. Let me ask you, when was Jesus ever rich on this earth? He wasn't. Because this theologically speaking speaks to the pre-existence of Jesus. That he was, is, and always, always will be God. The last time I checked, Jesus was born in a manger. Jesus was the son of a carpenter. Jesus, by his own mission, said that he didn't have a place to lay his own head. So it was not while Jesus was here that he was rich. When it says he was rich, it is speaking to Jesus being God. Having all authority, all power, no need of anything else. All resources, all riches. He owned it all. And yet our God lowered himself. Yet he was rich. He became poor. For your sakes is what the Bible says. Church, we see the gener- we've got to see this. We've got to see the generosity of Jesus, the generosity of, of our Lord and our Savior as He steps down. He lowers Himself. He gives up what is His so that we could have. Y'all, we roll our eyes when someone takes our seat. Not all of you. But I guarantee you in a church of our size, heck, it don't even have to be our size. I guarantee you, there are people that when their seat has been taken where they sit in the sanctuary, there's a feeling within them like, why would you sit where you know we sit? If you are one of those, you better not let us find out. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm really not kidding. We're going to deal with it for real. 
We, we get frustrated when somebody takes our parking space. Don't we? We're going to pull in somewhere. Somebody parks because they didn't know that you were the only person looking for a parking space. How dare they take your spot? You, well, the point that I'm making is Jesus gave up his seat. He gave up his spot at an appointed time for a time so that men, women, and children could receive everything that God could give them. He is the inspiration behind generosity. He is the inspiration by, behind serving and giving of our time and our talents and resources to things that God cares about. And the Bible says, for your sakes, he became poor. For our sakes, which means not for the sake of God, but for us. Because Jesus loves us. This is why it's called grace, unmerited favor. We did not deserve it, but yet he lowered himself for us, for his own good name and for our help. This means that God did not hold selfishly the resources that were at his disposal. He did not hold on to what was his, his glory, his privileges, his riches of heaven. God has allowed us to share in that. And he could have just as well, because he's in the heavens and he does whatever he wants, he could just as well just held on to it and kept it himself. We got to remind ourselves of that when thinking of opportunities to give. And then it says he became poor. This does not mean that Jesus gave up his deity. It means that he became a man. Jesus was, is, and always will be God. But he lowered himself and he became like us for us. Specifically, he came to take the form of a servant, to die in a place for us, a sacrificial death, to solve a problem that we could not address or an eternity that we could not afford. Jesus did this for us. Y'all, we are beggars when it comes to existence. We're beggars when it comes to heaven and forgiveness. We stand in need. We can't work our way to heaven. We don't have the resources to buy our way in. We stand in need of God doing something. And what did he do? He did everything. God lowered himself. In Philippians chapter 2 verse 8, when Jesus appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Jesus lowered himself so that we might become rich out of his poverty. And we're going to sing here in a minute, and we ought to sing out loud and with purpose when we hear that. Now, remember the king on the front end of this message? Remember the king who stooped down and gave three gold coins to the beggar? At the end of that story, we all think well of him, don't we? Even his principle of giving and generosity? Well, what about a king that gives him everything? What about a king that just gave him the whole castle? the whole treasury. What about a king that lowered himself and out of his poverty would allow that beggar to have the whole riches of the kingdom? What about that king? Because this is what we're talking about today. That Jesus would lower himself and become impoverished so that you and I who are unworthy could have heaven forever and ever and ever for the glory of God through Jesus Christ. Listen, this is the greatest motivator towards generosity I can give you. And it's also the best news that I can deliver to you today. 
You may still think you've got to work your way to heaven. You still may be thinking that you've got things that you've done. You need to get undone so that you can get right with God. And God's already covered all that for you. This is what God has done for you. What the scripture says for us to do is to turn from ourselves, which is spiritually motivated on the inside, and turn to God by placing your ever-loving faith in Jesus Christ. Confiding trust that God has made a way for you. Yes, you need to repent of your sins because that's coupled with real faith. Yes, you need to seek God for forgiveness and ask him to come in and clean you up and call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. And based on what I read in the scripture, when you call upon the name of the Lord Jesus to be saved, you'll be saved right with God. And even though you don't deserve it, and I don't deserve it, we get all the riches of heaven. Somebody say amen. Let's stand to our feet.